Hi, I'm Jeff Brazier, and this is the NL Full-Time Podcast. Welcome to this week's NL Full Time. Thank you very much for listening to us. Hope you're all keeping very well. I'm Luke Edwards and alongside me as always it is Rob Worrell. Hello Rob. Hi Luke. Sporting his Aldershot background. <laughs> uh, yeah surprisingly I've not just put a big black cover over it today but never mind. <laughs> and also joining us it is Chris Pratt. Hiya Chris. Yeah hello Luke. Also joining us, it is former Stockport County director, now match commentator and kind of works in the media at the football club. It is John Kieran. Hiya, John. Nice to see you, Luke. Uh, well, thanks for joining us. And um, the reason we've got you on is it's been it's been a quiet couple of weeks at County, hasn't it, John? <laughs> yeah, you never quite know the minute, do you? But uh, that, that's football, as they say. And uh, no, it's been a... Do you know what? It's been a difficult time, in fairness. It's been a really hard time and... Um, Nobody wants to see a club legend leave. Um, everybody, and I include the new owners uh, at Stockport County in this, but everybody wanted Jim Gannon to succeed. Um, but as you've seen from the statement that the club put out, this is nothing to do with results. If it was, it would be you know a completely ludicrous thing to do. So, um, yeah, Jim's gone and, uh, and Simon Rusk has taken charge. And um, I'm, I'm delighted for him as well because he's got off to a, a really good start yesterday. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot. There was a lot of shock around when we saw it on Twitter, and I know the fans are all a bit wanting an explanation. But like you say, the statement kind of it cleared it up, and, and certainly for Jim's sake and the club's sake, I don't think it's fair that certainly the dirty laundry is washed in public on what maybe has happened as, as to why he's gone. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I disagree on one thing. I'm not sure the statement does clear anything up, and and and, and it can't. You know, it's it's employment law is it, it, it's coming into play in something something like this um the reputation of a club legend also comes into play in something like this i, I think that probably the most important thing to point out though is that um you know there's been a lot of things a lot of people saying on twitter that you know from day one mark Scott and the board wanted their own man they never really wanted jim but i, I, I don't agree with that and I'm, I'm sure you know chris will have a view on this as well but you know you've only got to go back to the end of last season or around the time of the lockdown and, you know, Jim Gannon was given a, a massively improved two-year contract. Um, all the staff were retained on, on the football side. And, you know, I, I think, you know, speaking to Mark, as I have done many, many times, he, he desperately wanted Jim to succeed because who wouldn't? I mean, that, that is the perfect scenario. Your club legend continues in post and takes you on to even bigger and better things. So um, I do think Mark wanted Jim to stay. Um but clearly that, you know, something's gone on. I'm not going to speculate about what it was or, or what's happened. And I, I I don't know the full facts, so I'll be honest with you. But um, all you can deal with is the hearing one. I suppose, it's like I said on last week's pod, John, you don't know what goes on behind closed doors. Ultimately, the fans, as, as much as they love him, they only see him sort of on match days and in interviews. What goes on in the inner bowels of Edgley Park is anyone's guess, isn't it, I suppose? Yeah, and I think, you know, there's that old saying in football that it's a results business and, you know, results are everything. And, and you know, obviously with this particular regime, that's not necessarily true. And uh, they've been quick to point that out, that this is, this is nothing to do with, with results. Um, but clearly they, they need uh, a team in place now that is going to get results because, um, you know, that 
the flat that would fly around if this disappointment doesn't work is, is pretty unthinkable, really. Yeah, yesterday was a really big result as well, wasn't it, John? I mean, if, if that had gone wrong yesterday and or it had been a you know a dour nil-nil draw or something like that, there'd have been uh, there'd have been more questions asked. The the thing that I'd add to to what you said there, John, was the the players that came in as well over the summer and um and just before that, um a lot of money was spent, you know, on some quality players and, and Jim was entrusted with them as well. So I think that just goes a bit further to back up what, what you were saying. As I said, it, it's you can understand that outpouring of, of well, everything from um, upset and dismay to, to anger and, um, you know, people really going off the deep end saying that they wouldn't watch the club again. Um, and I can understand that because, you know, you're talking about a guy... I mean, our careers have gone in parallel. The sort of twenty odd years I've been at the club, Jim has been a mainstay on and off uh, as player and manager. And everything good that's happened in in my working time at County has been with him at the helm. And you know, you go back to two thousand six, the great escape in his first season in charge, absolutely phenomenal um, to bring County back from the brink of the foot of League Two. Two years later, to go to Wembley and uh, winning the playoff final. Sorry, Rob. And then you know, obviously to to go to. Um, to 2019 with a part-time team and a, a, a much reduced budget um, and, and still managed to achieve promotion from the north so um, clearly it was it was never it was never going to be easy whenever the, the two sides parted company but um, you know all you can do now is wish Simon Rusk all the very best I think it's a good management team with Mark McGee um, alongside him, that sort of older head, perhaps, with that, that little bit of advice that he can offer. Um, a lot of people talked about Simon Rusk being, you know, Simon Risk was one of the things I saw. Um, I'm not sure it is particularly. I mean, his, his credentials are, are on a par with, with Jim's in terms of his badges and so forth. Um, and then, of course, you know, you look at his playing career, he's, he's played at this level, he's won the conference title twice, so he knows the level, which I think is really important. And then there's that continuity appointment as well with Dave Conlon staying on as well. I think, do you think if there was, um, do you think it helps that there isn't fans in the stadium at the minute, you know, so like when Simon Ross, you know, first game, obviously there'll be people, if you're not 1-0 up after two minutes, shouting about Jim Gannon and stuff, do you think it helps that maybe he's kind of, he's got that grace period where he can get a few results if the fans are then let back in in a couple of months' time? Um, probably. It's a hard one. I think in terms of the team, you know, County relies so heavily on that support that, you know, we get at Edgley Park. So I think in terms of the team performing on the pitch, I think it's been, I think it's hampered hampered us actually. I don't think it's it's helped in the slightest. Um, In terms of changing manager mid-season and losing a club legend, then yeah, yeah, I think you've got a point, Luke. I think um, the the atmosphere could have been fairly toxic, one imagines. But yeah, you know, the, the club have done this, uh, the statement's quite clear from the board. They've done this in the best interest of the football club. And I think, um, you know, that's what we'll all keep at the, the front of mind. Um, and, and clearly, as, as, as Chris has already alluded to, it was a great start. Obviously, what impressed me was Mark McGee as well, his knowledge of the owner, like what he knew what the owner did and stuff. He's clearly coming with his eyes open and, and he knows about the club. He's not just like some old guy looking for his last paycheck and, and desperate for a coaching job, is he? He seems to have that hunger. Yeah, I think there's obviously this connection between Simon and, and Mark. It's Simon's choice. It's somebody that he, he knows quite well from down the South Coast. And Mark McGee's no stranger to Edgley Park. He's, he's brought teams there, I think, five or six times. He's, he's brought clubs to, to Stockport County um, with, with varying degrees of success. But um, you're right. I think, you know, what's Mark now? 62, 63. So um, with that wealth of experience, he's, 
he's probably done it at a higher level, obviously, than than, than Simon in terms of, of, of getting um, League Two titles, promotions in the Football League as well. And then obviously, I think, you know, a stellar playing career, as we all know. So, um, yeah, quite a shrewd appointment, I think, by Simon to sit alongside him. But again, you know, you look at the commitment of Mark Stott, the amount that he's invested Clearly, you know, you can see what's happening around the place. You can see in terms of over a million pounds invested in the stadium already. The budget, the playing budget has gone up massively. But, you know, a three and a half year contract for Simon Rusk is, is a real statement of intent, again, I think, from the owner. So, um, you know, any any doubts that you've got about Mark Stott's commitment to Stockport County, I think when you see things like that, it's, um, it's quite telling. I mean, you know, when I was on the board for that seven years, the thought of a three year contract for a player or a, or a manager um, yeah, absolutely not, no chance. It's a, a really interesting appointment, John. I've watched it with interest. I've watched all the the interviews. Um, <clears throat> Rusk is a another one of those who's really highly thought of. Who's been who's been uh, you know managing academy sides, and there's been so far, I guess, some some successes, some failures with with managers coming from that. I guess Limbrick didn't really work out too much at Woking. Sol doing okay um, at Aldershot. The interesting thing for me is the mechanics between the two. Quite often, the assistant manager is kind of like the go-between with the players, the nice guy and the good cop, bad cop. I mean, looking at those interviews, surely Rusk has to be the good cop and McGee the bad cop. I think I think McGee might be such a bad cop. We've needed two good cops. That's why Dave Conlon's staying on as well. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> That's a great I think, could, yeah, I think you could well be right. I think I'm looking forward to it. I just think, I think it's going to be really entertaining and, um, but you're right. I think Mark McGee, he's got to be a bloke. You'd, you'd love a night out with, doesn't he? Yeah, you wouldn't. You just wouldn't want the, even just the stare from him, would you? Yeah. But um, <laughs> it is a great start, and there's nothing to there's nothing that can get fans on side more than winning football matches, especially in such style. It's a really good example. This game yesterday at Woking of of how the stats can tell a very different story to. Uh, what clearly, evidentially, everybody there was said Stockport were uh, a class above yesterday. Um, I know Alan Dowson, who's always honest, uh, alluded to that. He said, I thought they were excellent today, uh, quoting from the non-league paper here. Um, player for player, very good. They were miles better than us in every department today. And we were second best all round the pitch. But interestingly, Stockport yesterday are one of four clubs, I make it, that scored with every shot on target that they had um, they may have dominated possession, controlled the game, controlled the tempo. But yeah, according to our friends at the non-league paper, they had four shots on target yesterday and they all went in. I mean, it's, it is a telling statistic. And funny enough, I, I think, you know, Chris was at the previous game where we had one shot on target and that went in. So um, <laughs> it, it's, I, I, it's a hard one to read into. I think it is fair to say that the strikers perhaps have been misfiring a little bit in recent weeks, but at the other end, we've been so solid that we're still getting results, still winning football matches and still in the, in the top four. So um, it's, it's, been, it's been swings and roundabouts in the periods when the strikers haven't been scoring, at least we've been keeping them out the other end. And I think if you look at you know Jim Gannon teams, the way he sets his team up, it will always be to secure a clean sheet first and foremost, and then... Um, you know, if you can get something at the other end, all well and good. And I'm not sure that's necessarily going to be the mentality going forward now. I think there are a group of players here that Chris will, will probably back me up on the quality that County have got, particularly in that 
those attacking areas, the final third, the attacking midfield players, the likes of, of, of Rooney and Crowsdale and Connor Jennings and Alex Reid and Richard Bennett. I mean, the list is, is, is really endless at the moment. So um, for me, um, having invested so heavily at the top end of the pitch, I think that's where we've got to be, be looking, um, looking forward to. Perhaps a slight change in, in style and approach. And I was glad to see that Simon Russ maybe did have um, have his his own stamp on that performance yesterday. Although I agree with you, Rob, I think the, the, the stats are quite interesting. It suggests that they were they were a bit more clinical yesterday than they have been in recent weeks. Yeah, that's a good thing. And if you can keep the uh, if you can keep the door shut at the back, all well and good. I think it says a lot about the depth as well. Like I look at the Stockport team week in week out, and somebody of the quality of Ryan Crowsdale, who has captained England C. Um, and he's coming on a long contract, and he's not a, he's not a regular starter yet. It's true, and it took him a while to get into the side. I think now he's he's got himself into a position where he is a bit more of a a, a fixture in that starting eleven. But you're right; it's taken him a while. Same with Macaulay South and Hales; it's taken him a long time to break through into the, the, the starting eleven. I think Jim as well was. Um, and, and this isn't blind loyalty. This is this is a good thing from from Jim Gannon. He was very loyal to those lads that served him well for those five, four or five years that he was in charge. And if you look at the likes of Sam Minning and Ash Palmer, uh, Adam Thomas, Ben Hinchley, they were mainstays. Jordan Keane, you know, they, they were the guys who got promotion in, in 2019. And I think he wanted to repay that faith. And there's something quite noble about that. And I've always admired that about Jim Gannon. And it's not just, the reason I say it's not just blind faith and blind loyalty is because um, he improved them as players. There weren't, National North players anymore. They're National League players with the potential to kick onto the Football League. Every one of those that I've mentioned has got that potential to make that step up. So I think Jim was always very keen to keep them involved in his, if not the 11, certainly the 16. But you're starting to see now, even with the selection of Dave Conn last week, you know, Ash Palmer suddenly not necessarily a regular starter, which seemed incredible. You know, the guy who was the, the vice captain for promotion. Um, Adam Thomas not even in the squad yesterday so you're starting even now in these early days you're starting to see a, a, a sea change perhaps I think when you look at it John I think if you look at around the pitch now I know the, the formations will change and we'll, you will yet to see what Simon Russ will do whether he sticks to, to one or he, he switches it around all the time I suspect he will switch it around but there's almost two players in every position. And I thought that when you mentioned um, Macaulay Southern Hales yesterday, you got Sam Minihan, two excellent players that most National League clubs would want in their side at the minute. And there's that depth there, isn't there? Um, you mentioned Ash Palmer, you've also got Jordan Keane, um, who's been playing centre-half a lot of the time. And there's just that depth in the squad. And the other thing you mentioned about the strikers, but the goals can come from any one of that. You mentioned five players there and the goals are coming from anywhere. And John Rooney certainly picks up a lot of what, what the strikers wouldn't be scoring. I think he was joint uh, top goal scorer for a period yesterday um, in, in the whole league. And the other thing is, I think that's maybe um, surprised me a little bit. I haven't looked at the statistics, but Alex Reid is scoring regularly as well when when he's on the pitch as well. And looks like he's going to score when it, when he's on there as well. Looks confident. Um, so, And I'm not sure that that's been the case throughout his career either. So I think there's there's really promising signs, obviously. You mentioned Alex Reid. I think what's interesting with him is he scored, you know, he's well into double figures in terms of goals. He's not got a single assist to his name this season. <laughs> I think that goes, you know, that sort of speaks to what Rob was talking about earlier on, about that that clinical nature in front of goal, making sure if you do get your shots away, they're going to go in. And uh, I think that's, um, you know, Alex Reid, 
has, has been a revelation, I think, this season. And, um, you know, Richie Bennett now, who has got a number of assists to his name, is, is struggling to get into the starting 11. So he's another one that, um, you know, we talked about those players who can't make it into the starting side at the moment. And, uh, and Richie's another one that, that fits that bill. But look, it's a squad game. It's a long season. It's going to be a very, very um, contracted season as well. So I think, you know, players might be out of favour at the moment. Um, but everyone's going to get a chance when you're playing Saturday and Tuesday, Saturday. Joining us as well, we've got Dickie Wharton. Hiya, Dickie. Oh, good afternoon, gents. Uh, yeah, a bit late back from a run, but good to join you. Yeah, with me as well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, great start for, for County yesterday. They've probably touched already, I would guess, on the thing that, you know, we'd, we'd spoken about this, this culture thing. And um, I've read about Simon Rusk um uh, being at brighton and and what sort of seemed to come through from that very much was um it, it was a very much a whole sort of player approach to that he, he was very interested in the development of the, the players as people you know the under 23s as much as as footballers as well so you know um, any sense of that from him already or definitely and and you know talking to him um uh, you know Rob was kind of referring to the interviews earlier on, but I think, you know, talking to him off air as well. And um, you just look at that track record that he had at Brighton. You know, you look at the players like Aaron Conley and Ben White and Solly March all making this breakthrough to the first team. And, um, and you know, people, we were talking earlier about a lack of experience. Well, I think, you know, he stepped up a couple of times as well to be first team coach under Chris Hewton. So he's worked with the senior players as well. But you're absolutely right. Um, he, he's, he's got a... He's certainly got a passion for working with, with, with the younger players and developing younger players and bringing them through. But, um, you know, so did his predecessor. I thought what was lovely yesterday was listening to Simon at the end of the game was to hear him talk about the blueprint being in place and that the plan and the structure is already there and these players are already at a level where they can go on. And I, I think it's quite encouraging for him because often a new manager will come in and think, right, well, I need to, to pie off six or seven of them and I need to bring in six or seven of my own. I don't necessarily think that's going to be the case with Simon Rusk. I think you can see a lot of potential in this squad. But you make a good point. He's worked with under-23s primarily. County starting 11. I think the average age is about 28, 29 at the moment. So um, it, it's a different dynamic. But then again, coming back to another point we made earlier, having somebody like Mark McGee there to work with those senior pros when, you know, if you're 31, 32 and you don't like what's going on, there's somebody else to go and talk there's a brilliant article in the eye yesterday of like talking about there's an Asian lad breaking through at Brighton. He's like 14 or 15. And they're saying like how they almost a club are bending over backwards again. Don't use the word culture, but to kind of meet his culture for like, if he, when he gets to Ramadan, what they can do for him. And they just seem Brighton seems such a good club to develop players in, in that way as well. Doesn't it? Um, you know, sort of that, the, the ethics that they have there and everything. So that that's why I presume you'll bring that into Stockport County in terms of, he will have his eyes open to everything, won't he? I think so. What's been interesting in the last, you know, when I was on the board, we were there for, for as I say, for seven years, and and as well as stabilising the club, the main aim was to find somebody who could come in and be a custodian, as we've been, to be a guardian of the club, protector of the club, and take the club to the next level. We, you know, we stabilised it, and, and we did okay. You know, we got promotion, so you know, we were pleased with what we'd done but we knew we weren't in a position to take the club to the next level so it was a case then of finding somebody who could step up and do that we had I think in that seven years I think we had something like 20 odd offers for the club now you could immediately you know forget 
probably two thirds of those where they were wanting to use the club's own money to pay for it, you know, through the turnstiles or whatever. So a lot of them were chances and we're never going to get through or proof of funds never worked. But it wasn't always just about, oh, we've got the money to afford it. It was also about what is your ethos? What is your culture? What, what background do you come from? And I think what impressed the, the previous board when we spoke to, um, to Mark Stock was, yes, a very corporate structure, mainly around property development, which always sets alarm bells ringing, I understand that, but property development, student accommodation, and a really strong business background. But when you went into his offices or into his, his company, the culture that exists within there, you knew straight away that was going to be replicated at Edgley Park. Now, I'm not saying you can always map that onto a football club, and maybe that's what's gone wrong um, in the last 12 months, that it hasn't been possible um, always to try and replicate that. But it's such a strong driver for Mark Stock. It's such an important element. I think he would even sacrifice some results for the sake of that ethos and culture. I think that the values and behaviours and so on are so much more important to him. Um, and, and it's that's new. You know, that's, and I, I think... Simon Rusk, as you rightly said there about Brighton, the, the ethos of that football club and the way they develop young men and young women as well in the, the, the ladies' team, I think the way they develop young people, I think, is so critical to, to their, their pathway. And I think we want that same ethos. We want to be uh, seen in the same light. And whilst this has been a very disruptive period, I think what you, what you can see underpinning it is quite important. Just to add to that, John, as well, during this, uh, obviously the COVID-19 pandemic, we've been very supportive of the local NHS Trust as well, haven't we, donating money and uh, supporting the local community and things like that. So that's just in a, another example of how they want to become embedded in the, in the community. I mean, I, I, always, I always go back to the days when I first started, Brendan Eldon was the chairman, and I always remember him coming out with a quote. He said to me, he said, John, no commercial organisation has a right to operate in a community unless it's going to put something back into that community. And I think, you know, Brendan did that to a large extent. I think Mark Stock, though, has taken it to another level. As you rightly say, I think the investment in the Stockport NHS, the local NHS community trust, I think the, the investment in that is now into six figures. And then look what he did off the back of Marcus Rashford, admittedly, but what he did over Christmas, again, for Stockport children, uh, disadvantaged children who, who, who wouldn't have a hot meal during the school holidays, um, you know, again, we were well in I think he started with 100,000 and it was rose to something like 200,000 pounds in donations for that. So I think, um, again, that, that ethos, and, and it's one of the reasons that we were so keen to get Mark Stott involved, is that um, his, his belief in the community, um, it, it, it's absolutely paramount. Uh, talk here 10 points clear now, aren't you? Which I think is a bit of a shock to everyone. You played him on the opening game of the season. Uh, a talk here too far away for you now, do you think? I'd never say that, um, especially in this strangest of strange seasons. You, you can't predict anything. Um, they have slipped up a little bit in recent weeks. But, you know, they, they, they had a good win yesterday, but um, look, anything can happen in the coming weeks. And, um, and they've still got to come to, to Edgley Park. So, um, no, I certainly wouldn't, wouldn't rule us out of the title race yet. I think also, Luke, what you've got to take into account, it's not just a few weeks ago it looked like Sutton might be the only ones who were in realistic touching distance if they won all their three games in hand. But looking at the table now, I know we'll come on to the individual games in a minute, but Stockport, Sutton, Notts County and Maidenhead all have got three games in hand on Torquay and they're all uh, around about uh, 12, 13 points uh, 
behind them. Um, so there's a lot of teams that one of those teams could perhaps win all those games in hand and it would put them within touching distance. But I think unless Torquay slip up and have a prolonged bad run, they, sh- they should they should hit the finishing line first. I mean, who, who do you think are the biggest challenges as well, John? I mean, obviously, you'll, you'll be hoping Stockport are up there, but do you see the likes of Notts County obviously being up there, but also teams like Sutton maybe staying up there? Do you know, it is Sutton's the one that bothers me, and I think that's a huge game for us this, this coming week when uh, when they come to us on Tuesday night. Because the reason I think Sutton are dangerous is because they've got... Um, they kept the nucleus in the squad from last season, which is a great start because... Okay, they've they perhaps underperformed last season, but I think they've got a good, a really good team. Um, but I think they've come under the radar, and that's always, you know, their managers talk a lot about that. That nobody's tipping them, nobody's talking about them, nobody predicted them to be up there. And I think those are the dangerous teams. And and from what I've seen of, of Sutton last season, that they they, they were quality. So um, for me, that would be that would be the biggest threat, perhaps to derailing our prospects of getting up there. That's why um, I know. You've also got to remember it's still quite early in the season. Although we're talking here on the, the last day of January, actually we're nowhere near the end of January in terms of the season progression. So there is still quite a long way to go, and I think there's there's going to be plenty of twists and turns. And I think the intensity of the fixtures is also going to be quite telling. This is where Stockport County, I think, will benefit by having the investment that we've had, the bigger squad that we've got, injuries, and well, we don't really get suspensions, but but injuries. Um, even when we get a crop of injuries, you'll still look at the starting eleven and go, actually, that's that's a starting eleven capable of winning a game. If there's anything that's going to derail Sutton and Torquay, it'll be that lack of uh, of strength in, in, in depth. <sighs> so, let's talk about you. Actually, let's talk about me, just for a bit, because I was like you. In 40-odd years, I hadn't done much exercise, but I knew I had to start. So, I got the Couch to 5K app. From not being able to run for more than a minute, nine weeks later, I was running for half an hour. It's simple, it's free, and it's all planned out. With a little support, it's amazing what your body can do. Join thousands of monthly users. Download the free One U Couch to 5K app now, because there's only one U. So in the rest of the National League, then, the, the big game in terms of significance at the top of the table was obviously Hartlepool against Sutton. We'll get onto that in a minute, but Torquay, Rob, they carried on winning. They had a win at Barnet, which Tim Fowers said was Barnet's best performance since he'd been there. They actually hit rock bottom on Tuesday night when they lost at Dover, rather surprisingly. But Torquay had a, a good win against Barnet and Ben Whitfield was amongst the scorers again. Yeah, I saw his goal. Um, it was a nice, tidy finish again. Um, and you thought, well, Torquay would probably go on to score three or four. So credit to uh, Tim Flowers, Barnet. They stayed in the game right until the very late stages where Torquay doubled their lead. So for the first time, I think in, there's an obvious improvement there at Barnet. And I feared it was coming. And, and I fear even more that uh, they will finally end their um, run of uh, consecutive defeats with the perfect opposition that any team likes to play when they when they're, uh, need to end a really bad run on Tuesday night. Um, I, I don't want to say them because it's going to hurt too much, but... Uh, I'll let you know what I think of the improving Barnet after Tuesday. The big game of the day in terms of position as well was Hartlepool against Sutton. And it wasn't a classic by all accounts. Dave Challoner admitted that, said it was a tight game. But Reese Oates got that vital winner and they leapfrog Sutton now in the table. So Hartlepool go up to second in the, in the league. Yeah, it's interesting that one, Luke, isn't it? That it was such a tight account, encounter up there at Hartlepool. Because so, if you think about it, we're at the end of January and in a normal season, there wouldn't be that much. There'd be, there'd be only a few months left, but... 
We're not even halfway through, really. And there's still a tight encounter because those two, both teams are up there. But um, do you know what? Dave Chandler has got so much now. So I know he was having a bad season at, at AFC Fylde when he when he got the boot and uh, he ended up in Hartlepool. But I think he's got a point to prove. And we were talking before about who could be challengers to, um, to Torquay, to the other teams up there. And I think if Hartlepool keep on picking up those little scrappy 1-0 victories against uh, fellow title contenders and... And winning comfortably about the team about the teams lower around the um, table, I think they could be a, a real danger. I think what's interesting about Hartlepool is, I've always said it takes a, a sort of special mentality of a player to go and play at Hartlepool. I mean, who wants to go and play at Hartlepool? You've got to, even when they're in the league, you've got to be a, you know, you've got to have something about you. And I think when you look at that team, they definitely have. And I think, um, yeah, you know, you can go right through from people like Sir Featherston and Ferguson's a really good player as well on that left-hand side. And, and Cass is a good and uh, Reese Oates, as you rightly say, scoring goals. And he, he seems to have put together uh, a really strong side, doesn't he? Yeah, and obviously Dave Challoner as well, someone you know well, a former Stockport player. Yeah, and it, I, I always felt he would go on to coach. I wondered how he would get on without Colin Woodfoot. The two of them, were, you know, they came as a package in my eyes. But um, you know, they've, they've parted ways now, and uh, and Dave's setting out on his own. He's doing a fantastic job up there. And as I say, it's a difficult place to go and manage. And Sutton will be looking, as you said, to bounce back against Stockport on Tuesday. And then Sutton won't want to get back-to-back defeats, will they? Clearly, and and you know, I, I look at I look at Sutton. They're a bit like us in terms of getting goals from all over the pitch. They've got players like you know Eastman and, and Butyman, and what a good pairing they are in midfield. Um, whenever I've seen them, I've been really impressed. But um, but look, it's, it's the first home game for, for Simon Ruskin, Martin McGee, and Dave Conlon as a trio. And I think um, buoyed by the result yesterday, um, I'm optimistic for Tuesday. I'm not optimistic for the weather, but I'm optimistic for Tuesday. And what a difficult, what a difficult week just to say for Sutton, having their um, you know their their, their title or promotion credentials tested away to Hartlepool on the Saturday away to Stockport on the Tuesday. It doesn't get much more difficult in terms of, uh, you know, the, the, the length of those journeys and coming back to back within three days. And they're actually level on points with Sutton and the, re- the records are almost identical. They've played 17, won nine, drawn four, lost four. Stockport have scored 29, conceded 18. Sutton have scored 28 and conceded 17 and both on 31 points. It's, it's set up beautifully, isn't it? Got to be a draw. Yeah, for a nil-nil, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cheers, Rob. I think what you would say about their recent form, though, Sutton have taken seven points out of the last 15, so they are showing signs of sort of stuttering um, a little bit. And as Rob said, you know, two massive tests for them. Yeah, I think it is away from home they do struggle. I mean, they, 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 you know, they got demolished by Rex, and I think just around Christmas time, it was 4-0 that one. So um, but normally they're quite resolute defensively, they're set up solid and, I wasn't surprised to see it actually being a 1-0 up at Harleyville. I wasn't sure which way it would go, but I thought it might end 1-0. Um, and uh, look, I'll settle for a 1-0 for us on Tuesday. Yeah, Notts County, keep be, up. Oh, sorry. Just because it's going to be a great battle in the midfield there. You, look, you know, the likes of Crowsdale and Rooney up against Beautyman and Eastman. Uh, um, enjoy that one, boys. Hopefully it'll be a good game. Notts County kept up the pressure as well. They beat Weymouth by a goal to nil. And on the highlights, it looked like the highlights have been filmed on a mobile phone. It looked really grainy. Anyway, it was a goal by Alicia Sam, the Israeli, who 
um, Notts County picked up from Arda, who were in Bulgaria in the summer. And it was, uh, I don't think he meant it if we've seen a goal. It kind of, he crossed it in. It was wind assisted, deflected and eventually dipped in. Yeah, he's um, <laughs> he's an interesting player. We saw him, didn't we, recently? And um, I didn't, he didn't have a great game against uh, against County, I didn't think. But he's a big guy. He's a big unit. And I'll tell you what, he's uh, he'll scare a few defenders in, in this division. And, um, you know, if he gets the odd goal, I think on the National League highlight show that I've just seen, actually, they mentioned that uh, Notts County have only conceded two goals in the last nine games. So he doesn't need to score many and, uh, and, County, and Notts County will be picking up uh, three points. They're another team, John, aren't they? Everyone's kind of went Notts County, Stockport County to go for the title this year. And Notts County, they've had they've had an up and down season because of COVID. It's been stop start for them. If they can get on a run, they'll be another big challenger, won't they? Yeah, and again, you know, we talk about um, teams with that strength in depth, and they've definitely got that. Um, it was interesting just talking about Eli Stam. It was it was odd to see him at Edgley Park. I mean, he must be six foot four, six foot five, playing on the left wing for most of the game, and it clearly didn't play to his strength. So, um, but maybe they've found a way to accommodate and to get him into their system now, and um, uh, uh, maybe Neil Abbey's got got a you know a team there that can that can really challenge. The, the problem they've got is. It's, it's exactly the same as we've got is expectation is that weight of expectation that um, you know the fans demand success and demand you get back into the league as quickly as possible it doesn't as we found to our cost it doesn't always happen Talking of expectation one team who probably got more expectation than the other are Halifax their fans are quite demanding as well even though they're in eighth I think they're a bit still not sold on Pete Wilde whereas a team without much expectation certainly at the start of the season were Maidenhead and they won by three goals to two at Halifax and I know Chris we were chatting before we came on air didn't we it, it wasn't the defensive masterclass was it it was terrible <laughs> the calls in that game were awful it was like something, something had gone wrong it was like circus defending I mean the first goal that Danilo Walsy the Damo goal the defenders ran in the opposite direction <laughs> it was crazy and the second one bounced off the crossbar and hit his knee and went in so um, I don't know whether there was a gale blowing there swirling around the stadium but uh um, terrible defending, you, you've, you've got to say, by Halifax. And uh, in the end, fantastic three points from Maidenhead, who amazingly uh, are up in the playoffs at this time of the season. They're, they're, they're banging in goals. They've, they've got a front, you know, they don't mind how many they ship at the other end because they'll just keep going and they'll keep banging in goals. I think they've got, um, they put four past Yeovil, didn't they, earlier on? Um, put four past Wheelston last month as well. Um, they're just one of these teams that, that knows where the back of the net is. And, and as I say, they'll, they'll give you a chance. They'll give you a chance in a game. Um, and that's what will probably cost them um, if they do stay up there. It'll probably cost them in the playoffs ultimately. But um, I think, you know, on a the punching above the weight, given the budget that they've got, and I think they've picked up some really, really good signings from, from sort of lower leagues in, in, in the South. And it's um, it's been an interesting journey watching them this season. They've done phenomenally well. And I think somebody put it to us on the podcast a few weeks ago, you know, if you gave a, a sort of level playing field, sort of manager of the year so far, would it be altering a manager? Um, it'd have to be Dev, wouldn't it? I mean, it's phenomenal. Not just sat in sixth place, but in that group of teams that have only played 17 games, they're absolutely there on merit, toe-to-toe with Notts County, Stockport County and Sutton. And uh, the fortunate thing, for Dev is that as the early season goals of Sam Barrett have dried up, uh, he was the top scorer in the league. Um, 
Danilo also Dodomo has, has come through. And despite his lack of starts this season, he sits nicely nestled in there, uh, Orsi Dodomo. Seven goals, just just four behind the league's top scorer, Michael Chief. Yeah, they have got the worst defensive record in the, in the top half of the table. As you right say, off only 17 games, they've, they've let in far too many. And that that's what's going to ultimately cost them, I think. Was it you, Rob, who said that whenever Arce Dodomo starts, he scores? I don't know about starts, but, he, uh, you know, yeah, he's, 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 I reckon his number of goals uh, per starts this season is very good. I don't think he started more than uh, uh, probably eight or nine games. He's got seven goals, but to how many of those are from the bench, I don't know. Just quickly, John, I know Altrincham didn't play on Saturday, but uh, how impressed have you been by them? I know they came from uh, behind, didn't they, to draw with, with Stockport on um over Christmas and you drew 1-1 there as well over, was it Boxing Day? Yeah, so we drew on the, the Boxing Day one all there um, and then, you know, we were totally in control first game of the new year at Edgley Park two up and, and conceded two late on and, and it was, you know, they got what they deserved and they actually finished the game so strongly and I, I've been, as, as you said earlier, Phil Parkinson just done a phenomenal job. And again, you talk about um, you know ratio of budget to, to league position. But theirs must be um, ludicrous. You know, I think um, you know pounds per game. I think they'd probably be top. So um, their away form as well has been stunning. Uh, you, you'd think it'd be the other way around because it's a tricky pitch, altering different mm. place to go and play. But um, it's actually their away form that, that, that's doing really well for them. And um, hugely impressed. I love it. I love the fact that they're up there because you know you, you want the, the Cheshire sides to do well, and I'm really pleased for Parky because he's one of the good guys in football as well. Interestingly, as well with Altrincham, they've had recent direction, uh, new direction on the board. A couple of Canadian investors have joined the board there as well, and they're going in there to help. And it's not like the, the good thing about Altrincham is it's not like they're going in, Chris. Is it to, to a club that's kind of got loads of money um, or money problems around the neck, and which that's what one of the investors said. He, he said. Um, I'm not coming in to bail a club out. I'm coming in to help a progressive, a progressive club, which is what they're there to do. Yeah, and the other thing that you've got there is you've got a really, really dedicated bunch of people who've been there for, for a hell of a long time and put a hell of a lot into that club. I'm not saying that a lot of other clubs don't have that. They, they do, but you certainly feel that as soon as you walk into um, into Altrincham. So they've got that stability. They've got a good fan base when they actually, when they actually come back and they've got a good facility, albeit the pitch it can be uh, a little bit difficult sometimes, but, um, but yeah, let's hope this gives them, gives them a boost and, and allows them to, to strengthen a bit. And you look at the injuries as well. I mean, it's been how they've got to seventh with the injuries that they've got. I think when they played us over Christmas, they had something like half a dozen players missing a couple of debutants. There were people who'd signed the night before and it was all that kind of thing. And I, I must be honest, I, I went there Boxing Day thinking that they're for the taking, given that you know the carnage in terms of the the squad and they're the, the down to the bare bones. But Blimey, uh, they've got a real uh, a real resilience. They're very compact. They, they play the shape well, and they, you know they make it very very hard for you to, to play against them. And I think you can you know you can see that in the in the stats this season that they've, they've been they've done remarkably well. They never stop, do they? Because um, if only for uh, a Ben Hinchliffe save in the uh, in the reverse fixture, the, the second one over uh, over Christmas, they would have gone on from two 0 behind to win that game. They, um, I could say they added to the ranks last night as well. Later on, I think they uh, they announced the signing of uh, Joe Piggott, who'd been at um, he's been at Wigan Athletic, and I think Johnny said he's had a spell at Stockport as well. Yeah. So, player you'll know. Yeah, good player. Um, yeah, you know, dangerous. <laughs> he's uh, he's a handful. You know that's that, uh, and he'll suit Altrincham absolutely perfectly. He's a, he's a good, really good. I didn't know about that addition to the squad, so that's a really good addition. For 
Yeah, I think it, it feels to me almost as if I think they're talking about him as their new number nine, and it sounds, sounds as if they might have found that replacement for, for Jordan Hume, who obviously moved on to foil just before the season started. Again, another thing there, you know, credit to Altrincham, you know, they, they lost a guy who was, you know, been really integral to their recent successes, and, and, and it, it, it's, you know, huge credit to them. It almost looks as if they haven't missed him. Yeah, and they've spent, they've spent the money that they got for John Hume quite well. I mean, Baron, Baron Harrison's coming as well. He's another option for them as well. He scored goals, helped Barrow get promoted. So we'll, we'll keep our eye on that. Uh, Wrexham, they snick, snuck up the table, haven't they? There was a lot of knives out for Dean Keats, but they're now up into ninth place. They won 2-0 at Kings Lynn in there. There's a bit of needle there between the two sides. There's also been a bit of um, needle as well with the National League because... With all the uh, the news about the grants or loans or whatever they're going to be, but apparently Wrexham aren't eligible because they don't come under the English government. So the National League have said, "Sorry, you can't apply for anything." To which um, Rob Henny said that they um, don't need the money. So it's been quite an eventful twenty four hours for them. I wonder how that applies to Chester, with half the ground being in uh, Wales and half the ground being in England. Only half the grant, Chris. Clearly, <laughs> I, but, I did uh, see a few comments aimed that way at Chester's last night. I have to say, yeah, just you know, a yeah. bit of sport going on between Wrexham and Chester, as you'd expect. Yeah, and and the ugly side of Twitter as well over this weekend, uh, um, potentially you know, brought on by the Kingsland chairman's own uh, tweets. In fairness, but uh, a little bit of history there involved, I think, between uh, um, Stephen Cleave the. Uh, uh, Kings Lynn chairman and uh, and Wrexham. Um, it was an interesting one. It was one of those where you get the little popcorn jiffy out, isn't it? Mm. Uh, giffy, you know, where you just sit there and read through. Um, you, you'd hope, wouldn't you, that uh, your chairman of your club uh, wouldn't get involved in stuff like that. But it was an inter- interesting and entertaining read. Yeah, it's also interesting. I mean, it's one of those, even though, Wrexham come under the Welsh government that he can't apply for funding that they're playing in an English league. It does kind of, it doesn't sit right, does it? Yeah, it's completely wrong. They've been, they've been part of the, the structure of the national league and, and, and they deserve, you know, why would you join it if you then found you weren't eligible for it? And why were they eligible for the first transfer funding when it was a, mm. a grant, but they're not eligible for the loans? Uh, quickly then, we'll just, uh, we'll just wrap up the rest of the national league and, uh, Dagenham and Chesterfield met. It was an eventful game down there, wasn't it, Robert, in East London? Uh, probably the game of the day in terms of action and excitement. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Chesterfield uh, losing uh, Tom Whelan early on and then daring to take the lead and got tagged back by Tag Dagenham, took the lead again. And I'm sure I saw a, a third goal for Dagenham flash up on live scores, but it was quickly removed and it ended up 2 all. And you have to say for... That new resilient Chesterfield. A couple of times now, they've found themselves in very difficult games away from home, difficult situations, um, and uh, you know they've come back with a point, and uh, that really isn't a bad point at all for Chesterfield. Yesterday, the other time they did that, of course, was a couple of weeks ago when they were down at uh, Boreham Wood. Um, as we've already mentioned, a very difficult place to go. Um, and I just want to come in on Boreham Wood and on, on a quote from uh, Luke Garrard in the non-league paper. Um, Pretty small article, um, but uh, it says, Honest Luke Garrard admitted that he recently asked goalkeeper Nathan Ashmore to feign injury to allow his Boreham Wood side to reorganise and take the heat out of a sustained period of pressure. Ashmore fell to the ground, surprise, surprise, and stayed down for at least two (laughs) minutes midway through the first half of their game at Chesterfield. 
uh, on Tuesday with his side very much on the back foot. And here's the direct quote from uh, Luke Garrard, who I have to say is a great supporter of this podcast, but I'm only reading out what is printed. Chesterfield played a great little shape and we just couldn't quite get it organised, he said. I had to ask Ashmore to go down to feign an injury to ensure that we can get some for- we could get some formation into our group. After that, I felt the game swayed slightly more in our favour. What do we think of that, chaps? I honestly don't know whether to applaud Luke Garrard for his honesty or say, you know, this is ridiculous. Even if that kind of level of gamesmanship's going on, why would you admit to it? Yeah, I think I think that's my first reaction. We know this happens. We know this goes on, but uh, it's very interesting that he's decided to be uh, quoted on the record as uh, as being you know open and honest about it. And um, I walked past Nathan Ashmore uh, last week when I was getting a few. Did interviews. he fall? Did he fall over? <laughs> he's about four times the size of me, so <laughs> God knows why he's rolling around on the floor. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'm just surprised that he's gone out and uh, and been quoted on that. Yeah, I mean, I'd echo that. I mean, we 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 do see this go on, um, and it, it always amuses me slightly that you know it, we haven't had games with supporters in this season, obviously. But you know, an away team does it to you know try and slow a game down, and the home teams are all complaining, and then you think, yeah. But when you see your team away from home and they do the same thing, nobody complains. So it's almost one of those things that everybody knows. I wouldn't say everybody does it, um, but but I think it's probably more commonplace than we'd like to admit. And, and like you say, it, it, the, the surprise is actually that he's just been honest enough to go on record and say, you know, whether referees are going to be looking out for that more now because it's been, you know, flagged with them. I don't know. I think, I think I've seen something in the last week or so saying about... Um, there's going to be introduction of new concussion protocols through the leagues eventually. And I think there's there's also a fear that, you know, teams might use that to their advantage as well. You know, that, you know, go down and take a bit of time out. And it, it's a sad state of affairs, really, that when, when, when your first thought goes to, well, how are people going to twist this rather than thinking that it's a positive thing? I don't know if it was a little bit of uh, early karma for Garrard, but he lost in the last minute yesterday uh, to uh, Eastleigh. Bit of a smash and grab job, really. Eastleigh, uh, another one of those sides who, according to the stats, scored with their only two efforts on target. Um, and uh, a decent a decent three points for them, which uh, keeps them above Bournemouth in the table and keeps them on the edge of uh, that chasing pack. Yeah, and the other two games were... Yeovil got a vital win against Dover. Dover took the lead in that one through Adi Aziz and it looked like that it could pile more pain onto Darren Sal. But uh, Yeovil came back with two goals from Joe Quigley and also Reese Murphy. He scored within 26 seconds of coming on with his first touch. So a vital win there for Yeovil. And then the other game, the, the tea time game, Rob, uh, between Bromley and Aldershot. And uh, I know you don't want to dwell on it really, but... Uh, it was a shame for Aldershot. They played really well, didn't they? But ultimately came out and lost 2-0. Yeah, I think it was the perfect example of when it goes wrong for Aldershot, that's how it goes wrong. It was a perfect uh, blueprint of, of it. Um, they've done it a number of times this season. Looked very lively. Looked the better team football-wise. Looked more uh, creative, more dominant. But uh, not scored while they've been on top and conceded. Uh, so uh, it was a tough, tough one to take, particularly in a live TV game. But, you know, as it's me that always talks about Aldershot, um, you know, and, and he watched it, let's get Chris's uh, opinion, really, of, 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 of the game as a whole, really. 
Yeah, well, I, I wouldn't disagree. I thought you were the you were the better team, but I just didn't think that um, Aldershot created enough opportunities. I think they looked most dangerous when a uh, friend of the podcast, Ricky Miller, came on, uh, to be honest. And he uh, we talked about Alex Reid shooting on site and um, not getting any assists. Well, you, you saw as soon as Ricky Miller got the ball yesterday, he was going to have an effort on goal, and he did, and he nearly created a few things. And I think that's when... All the shot looked the most dangerous. Um, yeah, I thought that. Uh, I think you've got a good. Sh- you've got um, Harry Panagiotti. Is that right? Uh, Paniotti, Paniatu, whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Difficult name to pronounce, but I think. Um, I, I just think at times I thought they could have played to his feet a little bit more yesterday, rather than uh, going out wide and and, uh, and what have you. Um, but one thing that I did put on our uh, WhatsApp group was the the pitch at Bromley. Now I know it was the weather was awful down south yesterday, and it was blowing a gale and everything. But the pitch was puddling up, and it was a four G um, surface down there. And being going to uh, local ground, Hyde United, quite a lot recently, I've seen it rain quite heavily. In fact, I think it rains up here more than anywhere else in the country, and that pitch doesn't puddle up. So I think. Um, I was surprised at that, but in, in terms might, of... All, you're trying to say they might need to fork it. <laughs> <laughs> they might need to get some more of them little rubber pellet things. I'd... Yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, before the game, they had the brushes out, didn't they? And they were brooming it off the pitch. Yeah, it was quite funny, actually, watching the build-up to the game. Poor old uh, Adam Virgo and uh, Matt Smith uh, trying to dodge the rain with their uh, umbrellas. They've had a, a few soakings like that this season. I remember the one down at Eastleigh, the game that got called off at uh, half-time. Um, Chris, you made some good points there. We won't dwell on it too much at the end of the day. It was a mid-table game and probably won it with their only two e- uh, efforts on target in the game. But, um, Lou, you watched it as well. And I think what Chris alluded to in the WhatsApp group, he did miss the first 20 minutes. And it was uh, a little cameo of what Joel Noble can do um, you know, when he's when he's on his game, he he looked really, really lively, didn't he? And that's when perhaps Chris Aldershot were a little bit more creative. Though. Yeah, we had the fullback on toast, didn't he, Nuble? And uh, they had to double up on him. There was a couple of crosses. Came. I think within the first 20, 30 seconds, he, he fired one in and he nearly scored. And all the momentum was with Aldershot. And like you say, Rob, it was just, uh, they just allowed Jack Bridge, who's a very good player, to curl one in with his right foot. But even then, Aldershot were knocking on the door. But like Chris said, there was, um, I mean, credit to Bromley, they defended those last-ditch tackles. And I, I don't think um, Mark Cousins had a load to do, did he, in the second half? And Danny Searle basically alluded to that in his post-match interview, didn't he? He sort of said, um, look, we've got to be more ruthless in front of goal. And yeah, they got a bit of luck, Bromley, didn't he? Michael Cheat with that that goal in the uh, in the second half. And it kind of, he flicked a foot out and it went in. And he became top scorer in the division following that. But yeah. Fine margins, isn't it? And, and all the shots seem, do seem to come out on the wrong side of fine margin games, don't they? Yeah, I mean, Sel probably called it right when he said we may have been the more dominant side, but we weren't in the two key areas, both penalty boxes. That's what counts. A couple of mentions for Bromley. Um, Aldershot, of course, got the second youngest playing squad, I think, in, uh, in the National League. Bromley, full of now. So, as you'd expect, with a manager like Smudge, like Neil Smith, who is very adept and does not mind winning ugly. And I think that's pretty much what they, they did. Got a nice habit of doing that when they're live on T Bromley, uh, Bromley. I've noticed it. But a positive word for Bromley, uh, a wonderful strike, the first goal from uh, Jack Bridge, who uh, uh, looks a good player at this level. Yeah, he's had spells at Northampton and Carlisle, so he's definitely a football league material. So, 
there's a there's a vote taking place coming up at this coming week with the National League North and South clubs, and there's been a lot of toing and froing, and, and what should they do? There's been loans offered, and the DCMS have come in and and intervened, and there's been chats between lots of clubs about should they take the loans or not. There's three options on the table. Um, one of those who's been most vocal about it has been Dorking manager Mark White, and myself and Rob caught up with him on Saturday to have a chat with with the situation and what's going to happen. So, Mark, we saw your video on, on the dark in Twitter and it was really interesting 20-minute chat. I know you've got strong views on it. One of the quotes that really stood out for me was the loaded gun quote you said about if clubs are just giving the option to vote yes or no, it's a loaded gun because the teams in the top 10 will say yes, the teams in the bottom 10 will say no. Yeah, I mean, this is the big concern. So, um, the kind of turkeys voting for Christmas job, you know, it's it's just, you don't need to have a vote really to a degree. I think what, what I've I've been in touch with the National League um, overnight. And, and what I've said to them is, look, I don't understand why you're not having, um, based on the severity of the situation, because these are people's businesses. It's not just a game of football. And I don't understand why they're not having a, an indicative vote, because that would gain them a lot of ground, a lot of time. I mean, it's, t- you know, it's a quite common place that you would essentially gauge reaction um, about such a serious decision. So as an example, I mean, they do it in Parliament all the time. So as an example, um, an indicative vote, you might realise you're only three clubs away from having a majority. And then it gives you something to work with. I think um, if, if Monday is just a black and white vote, then um, for me, that says that the National League themselves um, aren't as interested maybe as... Um, we would like about it continuing, certainly for North and South. And I'll be disappointed if it is a black and white vote. Because obviously the other thing was, is, is like you you pointed out as well in that video, is that football's not stopped because of COVID, it's stopped because of financial reasons, hasn't it? Yeah. And the thing is really is that the actual loans that are on offer um, are fantastic. You know, finance at 2% over that length of time with massive payment holidays. You know, it's really, really good. They've made it really clear that if you need a grant um, and you're going to go out of business, you'll get one. But the problem is it's, it's really more of a case of how, and I don't blame them, by the way, it's, it's how clubs entered the situation. That's the problem. The big problem is that all of the contracts that clubs laid down, uh, the, the cost they put against the club was on the premise that we'll either have supporters or further grant money. So whilst I think clubs see that the loans are really good value, et cetera. Their mindset is, well, hey, that wasn't what we signed up to. Um, and let's face it, who on earth? Where, where's the incentive to take a 10-year loan to sit mid-table? Your only objective behind it is to help somebody else finish the season. That's it. Unless you're one of those clubs that's got a lot of commercials or season tickets like us tied up in the, in the business model and you want to protect those as well. Or unless you deem it very important for the integrity of the competition to play your part in keeping it going. Of course, a competition that brings a lot of joy to communities uh, as well. So um, it's uh, the word on the street is not good at the moment. Do you think then, I know you, you mentioned as well, you got the email from Nigel Huddleston, who's the sports minister, and you've read through it all and you've read through what goes into the loans. Do you think a lot of clubs are being a bit hasty on it and just going, flatly going, we're not having this without even looking into it? Uh, yeah, 100, that's a really good point, right? Yes, I totally agree with that. 
but 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 circumstantially as well, because not all clubs are run by Mark White or you know my friend Anthony Smith at Concord, you know, who are close to the action. Some people have owners that are abroad. Some people have a board that you know are six to eight deep. Some clubs are fan-owned and have decision-making processes. What I'm asking clubs to sort of do is that there's been more traction gained in the last 72 hours alone than four months. So surely the league would be minded to go, look, a one-week extra suspension maybe to North and South football, a one-week deferment of the actual resolution, maybe get out an indicative resolution in the meantime um, so we can actually see whether there's going to be a hybrid option of, look, um, count me out, but I'd like the league to continue. Because that is an option that I think should be on the table, given that it does tick a lot of people's boxes. Mark, you've just hit on the main point I wanted to bring up today. More time is clearly, clearly needed. And, and that cannot afford to be a black and white yes, no vote on Monday. They have to give Surely. it more time. Because Surely. teams need to, teams, there'll be a, a due process that, that clubs need to go through that is not going to be, you, you can sit down for three or four hours and do it. You're going to have to, it's going to have to be transparent and rightly so, because people shouldn't be, I mean, the distribution of the grants probably for me is a big factor in all that, how this is going. It was so poorly done. Um, and, uh, you know, you just can't have people being better off as a result of this. It's about due compensation in the circumstances isn't it how long do you yes. as, as as chairman of the of, of Dorkin as well how long do you perceive it would take to, to you know just to, to gather all that you need in order to make a, a appeal for a loan yeah no I think I think realistically the, the grant and loan process they're saying is four to six weeks but what I would say is this I'm not I'm what I'm giving you is hot off the press um Sport England went into that call green around the gills. They had no idea what they were walking into. They, these were honest uh, honest people who operate with integrity and process, right? By the end of that call, they really got it. Uh, so much so that there was an email sent last night that said if applications, they want indicative, in, they want indications over the weekend of what clubs are going to apply for what, okay? And they've even said they're going to start looking at the first ones over the weekend, are the ones they consider the biggest emergency. So my point is that you've already seen, I've already seen the, the fluidity gained in just a few meetings. If the National League, I think realistically, a week for decision-making in terms of we are going to proceed by applying for a loan or we're going to, um, uh, or we're going to go for a grant. But I think... Realistically, having this, having the options available is, is the key. Because a club may think very differently if they see different options. If I, if I know that potentially I can, um, I can opt out, no penalty, no fine, etc. I might put a cross in that box. They don't. If they do indicative th- uh, votes with a few different options, they don't have to come back with that as a resolution. But they need to gauge how people are feeling and what they're thinking. And that gives them a chance to work with clubs as well. But if they come back Monday with a fine eye, yes or no, for the North and South, that says to me they didn't want it to continue. Because there is no way clubs will um, you know, have the comfort, that's the perfect word, um, of security of knowing what their plan is 
as everything is happening in the background. And, and actually, just quickly, I'm sure you won't mind me saying, having spoken to Anthony at Concord, who's on the opposite side of the scale to where we are in terms of the uh, financial aspect, in terms of his mindset around that, Anthony absolutely agrees. He really wants football to be played. He's a football man. They want the competition to continue. And he agrees that there's been traction and we just need more time now. So yeah. I, I hope we can get them to, to listen to that, you know? I mean, is, is there going to be a meeting before the vote or is it literally just going to be sent something with the vote on? Because I don't see what the whole rush of it is, why it has to be done on Monday. Uh, well, this is it. I think the, the, at the moment, the indication is that the first part of what you said, which is they're just going to send out uh, an email uh, with a narrative um, and cross here or cross, cross there. It's a resolution. Um, they've not communicated something different, um, which is which is unbelievable, unbelievable. So I, it has gone quite quiet. I'm hoping they're listening to the noise around them and they're going to, you know, say, look, we don't need to rush it. The, the only reason for this Monday is because they put their dart in the board last week with a two-week suspension. So I think they're minded to say, if we need to start again, so we need to know we're starting. But, you know... What's the rush? Just delay it all by one week if need be. I saw an interview with Kidderminster's manager who said they're ready to start. I know you've had been on a call with Chester as well. I mean, what's the view? You spoke to a lot of Southern clubs, but what's the view in the North? Are they of a similar mind to you? Are they opposite? In, in, the, in the South? Um, well, in the North as well, because I know Chester on the original call that you mentioned about last week. Well, they? what you've got is you've got, you've got six... You, the, problem, the problem is um, you've got 16 clubs at the moment that are four of which are from the South that are on one docket that is saying, look, you might say we're starting again, but without comfort, we're not. Um, now, I'm, I, them 16 clubs at the moment, you would imagine, would say, we don't want a barrel of this. We're not going to shackle ourselves with loans to complete the season, should be grants, blah, blah, blah. So um, I think, honestly, the way you summed it up earlier is, is simple, really. I think, in general, you're going to have the top 40% of both leagues want to continue and the bottom 60% um, who are going to say, no, thank you, if the vote is called now. But, and, and frankly speaking, I wouldn't blame them because, you know, why would you burden yourself with debt? I know clubs in the National League, not too far from Aldershot, that, would take an identical view if that vote is Monday. There is, as much as they love football, there's absolutely no way they're going to they're gonna, uh, take a loan on board um, at short notice without understanding and procuring the whole club. They'll just vote to, 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 to win. So That's totally that's understandable, isn't it? I mean, just to, to, just, just to use Aldershot as an example, and I don't know, I need to be clear, I don't know the, the, the direct thoughts of Shahid Azim, who's the chairman and also on the National League board, but, um, yeah, I mean, that club in its history has nearly gone to the wall twice, has gone to the wall twice. And, uh, and, and it, just, it, it just wouldn't, I just don't think there's any room to, to, to look at um, uh, taking dangerous or, or, or unsafe loans. I, I think it's encouraging that the loans that are on offer are at really good terms. And, and what I really picked up from your 20-minute club update, that if you can set it out, if you can show where you're struggling financially and, and how and why, then the support in due course should be there. 
Um, so I think everybody needs to do all they can to try and keep this season going. I personally, as someone along with Luke, Chris and uh, Dickie and Tom, cover the three national leagues week in, week out. We feel like it's this one complete thing. Right now, it's not feeling like that. I didn't like the split. I didn't feel very comfortable no. about the split. Did you? Agree. No, not at all. What I've actually said a week ago, we've got a friendly today. I've done, I've done an interview before our friendly last week. And what I would like to see is essentially, I mean, I think that the point there that Luke makes about there being no hurry is, is vital. Vital. And any good leadership, you know, you have to kind of um, be calm under pressure. And I would like to see more business champions appointed almost. Now, if you do that indicative vote and you know what clubs are concerned and struggling, you can work with people. It, it's very much, it feels like it's very much cutting to the chase with a vote. And a lot of the, a lot of the stuff we've done with the National has been cutting to the chase. I'd like to see more support, more rationale, more business. But I, I have said, look, even if they split the 66 teams up and, you know, there was business champions like they've done COVID champions, divided. Let's have conversations. Let's work with people. What can you do? What can't you do? Don't give up. Don't give up a, a football season. Don't go down in the record books as having an expunged season unless you absolutely do everything you can do. And I think that if the National League are to be the professional league, that they say they are on the tin, that's the route they've got to go down. You know, they cannot just toss it away um, 100%. without working with people. That's my, that's my opinion. Yeah, it's integrity, isn't it, as well, of the league? I mean, like, say, even though you've got the National League Premier, which gets the focus for the TV, you've got teams below it who, who are professional. You've got teams in the South who are full-time, teams in the North who are full-time. So basically, Absolutely. Scott Davis mentioned last week, you've got players who get up nine to five and are just footballers as well. We have uh, 100%. I mean... We have over 65 sponsors that, um, that gave us money, over half a million pounds this year. And they gave us money because we entered a competition that we believe would finish. So if the competition doesn't finish, I'm going to turn my phone off on Monday because those people can ask for their money back. Or, work, best case for me, they'll, they rightfully so will ask for their sponsorship to roll over into next season. Either way we're half a million pound down on the deal, right? Yeah. So there are so many things to consider. I think what this needs is strong business management because these are limited companies. They are businesses. Without being disrespectful, this is not park football. It's not county league football. These are big businesses with big commercials. So, and I, and I want all the clubs in the division as well. And, and to be fair, I think they do to recognise that. I, I, don't, I don't actually think any clubs are in a hurry to conclude. I think the clubs are in a mm -hmm. hurry to understand what's going on. And, and I think they were, yes. minded, they were minded to say, look, we don't want to keep paying players in the event that um, uh, there's no support known. But now we're at this junction, we need to take a step back because we've got traction now and we need to work a way forward together. Mark, Serious stuff aside, just for a few seconds, you've been otherwise uh, enjoying the season, having a very, very decent uh, season with Dawkins. Uh, you're right up there. Yes, yeah, yeah. We love the we love the league. We love we love. Obviously, we've, we've come from nowhere, so you know, to us, it's all enthusiasm and you know, going to new grounds and new challenges, etc. So, uh, no, we're right up there. We'd fancy our chances this season. 
if, it, if the season gets cancelled, I, I would have said we're going to win it. <laughs> but, um, and how's but, my yeah. old mate Jake? How's my old mate Jake Gallagher? Is his body holding together? Yeah, he is. It's the other people's bodies you want to worry about when he's around, as you know. Yeah. No, he's, he's fantastic. <laughs> he's great. Now we love having him, and uh, you know, and um, he's really popular with the fans here, like it would have been at your manor. So. Well, I just want to say, and I don't want it to sound too creepy, but I enjoyed watching you guys at Maidstone despite the result, which I know you weren't happy about, understandably so. But I think if the season does finish and Dorking do get promoted to the uh, Premier Division and the National League, I think uh, you'll really complement that next season. And, and I, for one, look forward to, to coming to Dorking. Maybe, maybe if anyone wants to opt out of the, the National Premier and the South and North finish, we can take their place. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> Nice one, Mark. Thank you so much for joining us. So that was Mark White, and it was um, it was really interesting to hear him say that um, clubs can apply for grants and loans through through Sport England, and Sport England will look to urgently get those pushed through. And and one thing I was thinking about after that interview is is a lot of club directors surely they could sit around the table and say for the two three weeks we're waiting for our grant to be maybe successful. We'll we'll. uh, we'll cover whatever losses they are, which is what a lot of clubs do anyway when there's been sort of bad weather and stuff and maybe loan it to the club to, to get back at a later date. John, with the loans, it's, it seems a really good deal, doesn't it? You know, there's one or two, I'm hearing, you know, some chairman uh, tends to be the clubs are at the bottom end of the table um, saying that, you know, they can't afford the loans. I mean, the loans are on such unbelievable terms. You know, if you borrow three or 400,000 pounds, you get four years a payment holiday, and then 10 years to pay it back at 2.5% interest. I mean, if these clubs don't want it, I'll have it, because that's like free money. And if you can't afford to repay at that rate, you are not a sustainable business. It's, it's, it's as simple as that. That is a, an absolute gift. So um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm quite baffled by some of the reactions to it. It's um, As I say, if you can't afford that, then you, you're, not, you're not a proper business. You know, even if you took the loans and ran it to the extent of what is effectively a 14-year period, four years, no payments, 10 years at 2.5%. You're probably looking at three three grand a month as a repayment. And as I said earlier, if you can't afford to repay three grand a month, that for me would ring alarm bells if my chairman was saying, uh, oh, no, we're not, we're not happy with a loan at those kind of terms. Um, anybody else would be delighted to get a loan at those kind of terms. So, um, yeah, it, it, is, it is effectively almost free money. In terms of the National League North and South, I mean, it looks like it may well be a yes and no vote, Dickie. And I know we said to Mark White, I don't see what the rush is really. I don't know. Mark White's saying, why can't we wait another week? Because we're getting somewhere in terms of talks and things like that. Um, Yeah, I suppose the difficulty with that is, and, um, you know, we've already missed two weeks. Add another week or so on to that. You know, you've taken a month out of the season then, you know, is the plan still to finish on the last weekend of May and then hold playoffs? Because, you know, if, you, if you're taking that out, and I mentioned last week, you know, the prospect of further COVID outbreaks at clubs, you know, could mean further self-isolation periods, you know. How long do, is it reasonable to expect this season to go on? You know, how, how you know we're going to have to restart soon if we want to get it finished. Yeah, I think we're all done. John, thanks for joining us, mate. Um, that's been a real pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Really enjoyed no. it. Well, uh, everyone for listening. Thanks to Rob, Chris and Dickie for joining us as well. Cheers, guys. You're welcome. Pleasure as always. 
And uh, don't forget to subscribe to us on all good podcasting platforms. And we'll see you all very soon. And we'll, I'm sure we'll have a conclusion as to whether the North and South are back up and running next week. So stay tuned for that. After, apart from that, look after yourselves and we'll see you all very soon.